0: Today's recording may include adult themes and strong language. You never know if you're lucky, fingers crossed. Hello and welcome to Comic Cuts, the panel show. My name's Kev F Sutherland. You might know me as a writer and artist for Beano, Marvel Comics, Oink, Doctor Who, the Scottish Falsetto Sock Puppet Theatre, and my graphic novel adaptations of Shakespeare. Although chances are you probably don't. My guests today talking comics are Brian Bolland and Rhiann Rollins. Hello! (laughs) Hello. Comic Cuts. We're looking at a panel and we comprise a panel, there's a few of us, so the panel sees a panel, then we talk about the comics from the panel we discuss. We call it Comic Cuts. Wow, I can't believe you
1: do that live. I thought it was recorded.
0: I have two guests with me today who've brought with them a panel from a comic or something close. We're going to see if we can identify it and talk about it. Maybe we and you will learn something about comics we didn't already know, or maybe we'll just show off a bit and have an enjoyable chat. Let us see. Brian, are you somewhere in East Anglia?
2: I'm somewhere in East Anglia, yes. I'm somewhere near various and Edmunds in Suffolk and somewhere near Cambridge.
0: And this is the part of the world you originated in as well, wasn't it?
2: I originate from Boston in Lincolnshire. And I always have to say that because there is another annoying Boston or later Boston in America somewhere. Um,
0: <laughs> Let's face it, the two are not directly comparable, are they?
2: Not really. There are some sort of historical overlaps, but nothing very much.
0: Unless there's a cheers bar that there's much in common between Boston Mass and Boston no. Lynx.
2: I think the Mayflower stopped off in, that's the boat, stopped off in Boston on the way to Plymouth and then to Boston or somewhere in America. But there is a connection there. But you're right.
0: Have you ever been to the top of the Boston stump?
2: Oh God, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, although it has been closed for many years because the last time I went, which was decades ago, there are stages. There's one this is not a visual thing. I'm doing a kind of a, a mime here. Half, you can go halfway up it now. Uh, you used to be able to go almost to the top, but the last time I tried that, it was full of uh, pigeon shit, so you, you couldn't really... And no lights, so you're walking up there in the dark. But It would have been a great view.
0: Yeah, do you take uh, unkindly to people suggesting that much of East Anglia is very flat?
2: No, no, it is. Oh, God, I mean, where I come from, it's like a sort of billiard table. It's... it's you could, you know, it's just one straight line for, for a horizon. It's very flat. I live, currently live in Suffolk, which they call flat, but it's quite roly. But no, I don't mind at all. Big skies.
0: To what extent does the place that someone grows up inform their visual sensibilities, do you think? Well,
2: I'll tell you a little story. I was once at a convention, in comic convention in Edinburgh, and I was travelling back by train with Kevin O'Neill and Nick McMahon, some of the others from that, Era and we were going through Lincolnshire, and um, Kevin looked at the landscape of Lincolnshire and said, Now I can understand why you don't draw backgrounds from it.
0: <laughs> that's grossly unfair. The suggestion that Brian <laughs> Volland doesn't do backgrounds—well,
2: I very rarely, rarely draw backgrounds. Do
0: you really think that's the case? I honestly had never—that's the thought that had never occurred to me. You, Maybe you distract me from the lack of backgrounds you, by what's in the foreground. You forward. should
2: never reveal your weaknesses. I mean, I can see them all the time, but uh, I've, I've just given away a big one there. But you know, you you should never draw attention to your to the things you can't do.
0: Now, certainly when you were breaking into comics, London was the magnet. You had to go to London, really, didn't you?
2: Well, I suppose so, yeah, unless you were in... Um, where, where was DC Thompson? Was that
0: Dundee or something? Dundee. You know, very few artists seem to have come from Dundee.
2: No, but, the, I mean, there was a lot of comic art going on up there. I mean, DC Thompson was... Uh, they Was that the Beano and all those? Oh, yeah. Well... Surely
0: you did your very first work for DC Thompson, didn't you?
2: No. Well, actually, if you want to get really down to the nitty gritty, I did my very first work for Oz magazine. That's not not true. I did my very first work for Time Out magazine. Time Out, together with Oz and friends and some of those sort of 60s, underground, 70s, I suppose, underground magazines um, were all very similar. Time Out was a sort of an underground rag and I did a little drawing in there and then I moved on to uh, Oz.
0: You started as you meant to go on then, working with the cool kids.
2: Yeah. No, I never drew for the funnies, really. I, I mean, the first professional work I did was for a thing called Power Man, which was published by an a, a upstart little company from Suffolk, I believe. And they did this um, African superhero comic that was sold in Nigeria. And I did that for two years, 300 pages of that.
0: You and Dave Gibbons in, worked on that.
2: Me and Dave, Dave Gibbons and, and I alternated issues on that. Yeah. So that's that was my first mainstream stuff. So I, I, And I did a few things for DC Thompson as well, because I had an agent, the same agent as Dave, and he got us a bit of work at DC Thompson. And I really can't remember the names of the titles I was in, but they were like two-page war stories or sort of gothic horror stories. And that was before 2000 AD came along,
0: and then of course 2000 AD was the was the big break. I mean, did you realise 2000 AD yeah. was going to be what it became when you started? No, not it? really.
2: No, I think they were just trying it out because the Eagle had contained science fiction uh, through the fifties. Science fiction was a sort of big thing in the fifties, but it fizzled out in the in the sixties. So the, when I first started, there wasn't really a science fiction comic, and there were certainly no superhero comics. So when it came along, because Star Wars was the popular thing in 1977, they thought maybe we ought to try a bit of sci-fi. And that's how 2000 AD came along. And it was just a tryout, really. I don't think they, I mean, how could they look into the future? They they, they didn't know it was going to be a big deal, did they?
0: Well, if they were going to look into the future, they would have probably given it a title that was set fewer years yes. ahead than 2000
2: AD. <laughs> it would have been 3000 AD, really, wouldn't it? And you started just by doing covers. Yes, I suppose so. Well, you see, I was still working on Power Man. I was still having to crank out 17 or 15 pages a month or something, so I didn't really have a lot of spare time. And so I was able to do a few covers for 2000 AD. They didn't really know what was going to be the main theme or the pulling point of 2000, so they got us to come up with random covers and they would sometimes write a little narrative story to go behind the cover. To, uh, then Judge Dredd became the strong character in the in the comic, and uh, more of us got drawn into that.
0: It was very interesting that uh, the main artists had their own version of Dread. When you went from uh, Mick McMahon to you, uh, everything yes. about him, to an extent, would change.
2: Well, Mick started out when he first did, uh, when he started out, he was required to. Oh, I could tell you this in great detail. I won't bore you with it. But um, I think at the beginning, he was a fairly untried young artist. And they uh, I think you'll have to ask him, but I think they asked him to draw like a, a Carlos Asquera, who created Judge Dredd. Carlos created him, but then stepped aside for some reason. And Mick was required to be a Carlos impersonator. But his own very interesting and distinct style evolved out of that. And they were open enough for all of us artists to draw in a slightly different style. And it continues today. It's a, it's full of all kinds of styles from all, all sorts of influences, isn't
0: it? It is. Would it be right in saying that the amount of detail you put into your drawings means they take a long time to do?
2: Well, when I first started, I was, was drawing like a page a day for Power Man and things of that sort. And I knew that, if I had to crack a, day, a page out every day, it, I'd have to keep it fairly crude. And I knew I could draw better than that, given the time. And by the time I was doing, um, you know, things like judge death and whatnot, I knew that I could draw it well-ish, you know, to the best of my ability, providing I had more. So I gave, I gave way to my weakness in terms of speed. And put in as much time as it required to do the job I knew I could do, even though that meant I couldn't keep up the speed of Mick or Carlos. Carlos was very fast.
0: Were you ever frustrated by how that printing came out? Because I remember there was a short period when 2008, about 1979, was printed in litho because another comic had been cancelled, I think, and then it went oh. back to the letterpress version again, which um, uh, made l- lines a lot less clear.
2: Oh, well, I mean, it was it was printed on bog paper wasn't it I mean I think yeah I mean I think all of those comics from up till that period were printed is it are you calling it letterpress yeah very well up on the the printing process but it's very crude very rough paper I'm sure it had been recycled from toilet paper or something like that but if you look at them today they're very they've gone very yellow I was frustrated by a lot of things I mean my own inability to draw quickly But also the business about, you know, not returning the artwork, that was a big frustration for all of us artists, signing away all the rights. You know, when you got paid, you had to sign a document to give up all rights to everything in return for the payment. And that was one of the annoying frustrations of the whole
0: thing. Yes, I mean, that had been their ancient practice, hadn't they? Yes. Work for hire. Until yes. uh, 2000 AD, everybody was anonymous, of course. You That's never right. got your artwork back, and you got That's no right. royalties and no rights.
2: And I think Kevin Kevin O'Neill was one of the pioneers of getting us to... I mean, he called us all droids, didn't he? They That's called right. us all... We were all robots. <laughs> and he got away with crediting us by calling us art droid. Holland or McMahon or Gibbons or whatever
0: this must have made the temptation of America all the greater because you and uh, Dave spearheaded the American or the British invasion of America about
2: 1980 wasn't it uh, uh, 79 well yes 70, I, I mean I first did my I, I did my first few covers for uh, DC Comics in 79 and then when I suppose 80 yeah and then we had a group called the SSI, Society of Strip Illustrators, and some people from DC came over scouting for talents that they'd seen in 2000 AD. And so gradually, a sort of a rash, I suppose, of British talent started working at, uh, in America. Yeah, I suppose you'd call it, the British Invasion.
0: Well, Wikipedia calls it the British Invasion. Who am I to argue? It must be true. And then this led to uh, the high-water mark of Killing Joke. Well, it, is Killing Joke a high-water mark for you, as it is for readers?
2: I, well, it, it is a high-water mark for me, because it did mark a time when I was able to do the very thing I wanted with the very best writer at the time, who was my friend, Alan Moore. may have heard of him. Um So I knew I had to put my best work into it. I've done stuff since then, which I think is a little bit better. Uh, but, But after that, I became, because of my speed, I... I'm mainly a cover artist.
0: I could talk covers for ages, but Rhianne, you're in the room. <laughs> Forgive <laughs> me. Hi. Uh, I have Ryan Rowlands here, and we were talking about credits on artwork. Uh, you're working in the Beano now, and it's only yes. in like, the last few years that you lot have lot of been credited, isn't it?
1: Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. before that, we had to hide our signatures in the artwork somewhere. So now it's nice to see our name on the side. But, Brian, I'm just like, I'm in awe. You're my hero anyway. You're amazing. And it's so fascinating oh. to hear you talk. <laughs> well, it's so
2: lovely, to, lovely to meet you.
1: Well, oh tell me more. You. Tell us more.
0: Well, you both you both have a connection with Coffers, because, Arianne, you did Coffers for Funeral for a Friend albums.
1: I did. I did. They're a rock band from Wales, which is where I live now. I'm from England originally, and I went to university in Cambridge.
2: <laughs> oh, far
1: from you. And I love Cambridge. I miss it. Um, but I moved up here to be close to my family. And yeah, you know, for a friend, they're a band. They were very, very big. They're not quite as big now. Um, but I did their album artwork. And that was crazy to walk into like, you know, HMB and see something that you've made on the shelves. And yeah. I've worked for loads of magazines, um, download festival. And I've done lots of children's TV work. I love <laughs> love
0: that (laughs) the children's tv work was interesting for me because you started doing a character design for animation so how how different is that from from comics work do you need to know more
1: yeah you've got to be more structured because you have to make sure that they can be animated so you kind of have to simplify them as much as possible without taken away their character and you have to know what they look like from every angle you kind of have to imagine every emotion so but then it's not that different from when you're drawing comics because you have to know what your character looks like from every angle and when you're drawing your comics you almost pretend you're a camera you know like if it's a movie and you're filming the scene it's very similar
0: well, you were storyboarding for uh, a TV show, which I'll have to pretend I've heard of, Chloe's Closet. Uh, was Chloe's yes. Closet uh, really big amongst the kids? It's actually kids TV, wasn't it?
1: It was huge amongst the like two, three-year-olds <laughs>
0: demographic. What's the discipline of storyboarding like? I mean, are you very heavily dictated to or do you have much of a free hand?
1: My um, The guy who ran our studio was very, very strict. So he would give you thumbnails and say, this is what it's got to look like. Um, but sometimes you got, you in other studios I've worked, and you have total freedom. So it just depends really on, on what studio and, and what script you get. It's really heavy, heavy workload. Storyboarding was very heavy. Um, I much prefer comic books to storyboarding.
0: What's the chicken and egg situation? Did your work start off being colourful and fun? And so you chose the places to work in? Or uh, could, is there also a really dark side of you that we just don't get to see at the moment?
1: <laughs> well, funny enough, when you see my panel, um, you'll see that little dark side come out because um, uh-huh. I work with, I, all my work is family friendly, um, children, um, and I teach workshops for children. Um, and obviously I draw Ruby for the Beano yes. and she's amazing. She's my hero. So yeah, everything I do is completely family friendly, but there is this side of me, like Brian's artwork. I absolutely love because I love horror. And horror is my thing. <laughs> so I love horror movies. I read all I've got all Stephen King's collection behind me. And there's that side of me that I never get to explore. Um, but I'm hoping to with my own projects now. Um, so you'll see a little bit of that in my in my choice
0: of panel. (laughs) Well, that's to look forward to, and so are a couple of comic panels. I've asked everyone on the panel to bring a panel to the panel. You can see those images on my website at kevfcomicartist.com, and they should be on the artwork for this episode of the podcast, depending where you get your podcasts from. Don't worry, you shouldn't need to see the images because we are about to describe them. And I think we're going to first look at the image that's been brought to the table by Brian. So we are now looking at the image that Brian's brought. Uh, You shouldn't need to see this because Rianne is about to describe it. What are we looking at?
1: So we're looking at some kind of sci-fi scene. It looks like we may be on another planet. The colors are amazing. We've got blues and purples and yellows and and bright, bright red, really contrasting colors. We've got three guys who look like they're in spacesuits. And then we've got an awesome big red lava fire monster coming out of the ground. And it says, a great glowing thing, a living lava creature, head for the mole machine. Oh, I, I, I love it. I'm hooked already. I want to know more. And there is, I see in the bottom corner, there's a spaceship as well. Maybe that's the mole machine. We could be digging underground, maybe.
0: For the benefit mm. of the panelologists at home who study line colour technique and the like, I can tell you that we're looking at something that's printed with the flat colour of an American comic book. And in fact, looks like the flat cover of an American comic book cover from the 1950s, 60s, maybe the 70s, um, the large voice bubble has got very large lettering on it. And the only time you'd usually get lettering as large as that would be if you were looking at a cover. The three people in space suits are not in distinctive space suits. They're not in a costume that certainly I recognise, like, say, the Challenges of the Unknown or the Fantastic Four. Uh, and the line work is not of an artist that I recognise either the big glowing lava creature from this period I'm very familiar with the designs of Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko's Mm. monsters on the Marvel comics of the time but this is an unfamiliar style Rianne would you like Mm. to have a guess at what comic or type of comic or even name of comic we could be looking at
1: oh it's definitely definitely sci-fi related And I'm guessing it's probably from maybe the 60s or 70s. Um, 1961. Oh, perfect. And Um, what publisher do you think, Rianne? I'm I'm thinking an American publisher rather than British.
0: And I've got a slightly unfair advantage because this is a picture cropped in from a front cover. I've seen that front cover. And so now I'm going to show the whole front cover to all of us.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, I love it. And it's
0: DC. Brave and the Bold presents Cave Carson's Adventures Inside Earth, a comic I have not heard of and an artist I still don't recognise. Brian, tell us more. uh,
2: It's Bruno Premiani. He was an Italian. Uh, He was born in 1907 and he had to leave Italy because of the, I think, Mussolini, I think, actually, and... uh, he ended up in Argentina, and I think he worked, did a, quite a bit of work in Argentina. And when he was in his 50s, he, uh, I don't know whether he actually went and lived in America, but he started at DC Comics drawing Tomahawk, which was a sort of, well, it sounds like, doesn't it, like a Western. And he did a wonderful classics illustrated called The Conquest of Mexico. He was an extremely talented artist. He was very good at horses. He actually produced a, a book all about horses called *Caval*. Is that Spanish for horse? But he settled in with DC Comics in in the mid, in the sort of early to mid sixties, doing Doom Patrol. Oh yes, well the TV series, of course. The TV series, yes, that's right. Well, Doom Patrol started off. It was written by Arnold Drake and drawn by Bruno Premiani, who was this guy. And he didn't have an inker. He he drew uh, he penciled and inked the whole thing himself. It was all coloured by other people. Uh, and he did the whole of the Doom Patrol series, the original Doom Patrol series from the mid-'60s onwards with uh, Elasti Girl and Negative Man and Cliff the Robot Man and various other characters, all of whom are now in a TV series. But the TV series is partly based on uh, Grant Morrison's later versions of Doom Patrol, Mm -hmm. which is very bonkers.
0: Did the writers get credited at the time that Bruno Primiani was drawing stuff like this in Brave and the Bold?
2: Well, actually, the artists weren't really. It was very difficult to know. Most of the time you couldn't see who the artist was. There were some exceptions. You could, occasionally you'd see Carmine Infantino signing his name, Alex Toth, who is, I I was very tempted to include one of his, you know, put up one of his pictures because he's my favourite artist. Uh, um, But we, we somehow always knew who all the artists were. Even I think probably through fanzines, even though they didn't get their names put on there, but this guy, Bruno Primiani, if you knew his style, the, the running figures in the foreground, those two running towards the mole machine, it was a very, very Bruno Primiani-esque um, pose they're in there. Very underrated, not very many people have heard
0: of it. No, well, that's it. a fascinating part of yeah. comics history that has allowed his name to slip through the net as far as getting to me is concerned. The Marvel yeah. artists, of course, were immediately credited, right, from 1961 yes. from the start of the Marvel comics. And so yeah. uh, there were so many names like Don Heck and Chick Stone, who were yes. uh, possibly minor players compared to Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, and yet uh, yeah. readers like myself grew up automatically knowing their names and being reminded week after week after week.
2: Well, yes, yes, please take note of the man. He was very good, uh, a find the original Doom Patrols you know, some people uh, um, there was a certain kind of whiz-bang and gloss to the people who did the best um, the the most popular superheroes to Jack Kirby and Gil Kane or people like that, they had a kind of gloss about them. Uh, Bruno Premiani's work wasn't quite uh, as flash as some of those people who were very, very popular, but technically he was really, really good.
0: Uh, Ryan this uh, front cover is a marvellous piece, isn't it?
1: Absolutely beautiful. I've never heard of this artist before, but that's why I love this podcast, because you learn about new artists that you might have never heard of before. And like you said, their work is so amazing, but they're getting forgotten. So now me and the younger artists that are coming up can be influenced by these incredible artists and then their work won't get forgotten. And this is stunning. I'm so glad you chose to share this.
0: Well, do you know, a thing that gets reclaimed and reprinted more often than the interiors are the covers. Uh, I've seen a hundred years of DC front covers also made into postcards and certainly seen widely online. Um, As a result of that, I think Bruno Primiani might be seen by more people uh, in the years to come than for a long time. Good.
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: Now, we've just been looking at a bit of flat colouring with yellow doing the job of a rainbow of fire effects. This is a very different second picture that we're about to look at. We're looking at the panel that's been brought in by Ryan Rowlands. Uh, now, listener at home, you can find this on the website or you should find it on the uh, artwork for this episode of the podcast. But you don't need to because we're about to describe it. Aren't we, Brian?
2: Yes. I've never seen this be- before. I've no idea who it it's by.
0: Can I just say, Brian <laughs> has got his work cut out right now.
2: This is one of the <laughs> hardest
0: panels to try and describe.
2: It is. It is. Go for oh, it. Oh, God. I mean, I usually with when it comes to this work, I tend to think that art speaks for itself. You don't need words when you can draw the picture. Okay, I'll tell you what it looks like. It's um, There's a mad scuffle of beasts all thrashing about in all directions. And I'm describing this quite slowly because I'm discovering bits of it. As I look, there's something at the top that looks like a crazy chipmunk. There's a sort of a, a moose. There's another moose with what appears to have a great gash in its neck with its tongue hanging out. It's difficult to tell whether it's supposed to be horror or comedy, this, because there is a sort of comedic... There's a sort of a... There are, two, there are three human beings at the bottom... One of them is a sort of fairly typically sort of heroic, handsome type guy, although he's got white eyes with no pupils in them. And he seems to be trying to strangle an old guy who's smoking a cigar, (laughs) who is going ho, ho, ho. Behind him, there is another fellow who could be a sort of troll or kind of um, elf, and he's he's got a white moustache. But all around them are these thrashing beasts that are quite hard to make out whether they are based on real animals or whether they are just animated bits of animals
0: for the benefit of panologists, people who study line and technique and the like i would say that this is drawn in a very modern animation style although it's clearly a comic strip uh, you will recognize some of the shapes and proportions from uh, the line work used in disney and pixar and other modern animations especially on the face of our central character we have in the middle of the composition we have a uh, heroic figure as described by brian he's wielding a chainsaw oh so
2: he is i i've just noticed the chainsaw it's got blood on it
0: we have, descending from the top of the pictures and from all sides, we have what appear to be zombie forest creatures, They're zombie
2: creatures, aren't they? Yes. Yeah.
0: So I think I'm ready to guess what comic this might be from. But Brian, would you like to have a guess first?
2: Well, I don't don't know anything about comics, Kev.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to guess that this could be from something connected to Sam Raimi's um, dead films, Army of the Dead.
1: yes you got it it is you got it you got it
0: (laughs) so rianne tell us what exactly this is we're looking at
1: is from army of darkness you're right um and ash is our hero in the middle he's a bit of a a doofus really he's kind of the anti-hero but you 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 root for him anyway um his hand got infected by the dead it's like a a book, uh, a book of the dead that kind of brings zombies and it brings things, things back to life, but in like an evil way. And when you said about the humor, that's exactly what it is. It's like slap humor, silliness and Ash's hand uh, got infected by the dead. So you have to chop it off. And now he's oh. got the chainsaw instead of the hand. That's why it looks a little bit off because it is actually his hand.
2: (laughs) I hadn't (laughs) realised that. I can see that now, yeah.
1: Yeah, and his infected hand still kind of chases him and harasses him, and it has a mind of its own. And the comics are just silly, funny, kind of... They're just really nice. And the reason that I love horror is because of of all of the types of horror, you get books, you get movies, you get comics, you always get the same thing of being able to face your fears. So at the end of a horror movie, when it's finished and you're like, oh, Okay, I survived. What have I learned about myself? That kind of feeling. Um, but this artist is Nick Bradshaw, yeah. He's Nick, a Canadian artist.
2: Nick, Nick Bradshaw. Bradshaw. Nick Bradshaw, Canadian.
1: Yes. Now he now does his style now is very different. He do, he works for Marvel now. He does Fantastic Four, Spider Ham, Avengers, Black Panther, Venom. He's been doing that for about ten years now, I think. Um, but this comic came out in two thousand and four. So his style has really evolved.
2: Is that the whole picture or is there a logo at the top of this? It's a
1: panel, yep. And the reason I chose it is because, like your artwork, Brian, it, it is yeah. so detailed. And like you said, as you're looking around it, you, you just see different things each time. It kind of appears in front of you. And sometimes yeah. these panels are so chaotic that you can't work out what's going on. It takes you a while. You have to go back and look at them again. I, well, yes, I, so, I was. That. I
2: was having that trouble too. As you were asking yeah. me to describe it, I was thinking, "Oh my God, there's a there's a, another creature in the top left hand corner. I hadn't seen That's
1: that." It. <laughs> yeah, I like That's that. It.
0: If all of these creatures were on the same plane, it wouldn't work. If all the creatures were the same size, if they were coming from the same direction, it wouldn't work, or it would work differently. But we see with the lighting that he's used in his colouring, but as well as the position of Ash's body, his arm is up, raising his chainsaw. Then his shoulders slope down leading us down his arm towards the dead prospector lying on the ground um
2: can i can i just ask one question is this uh art on in ink on paper is it is it is there actual artwork involved in this before the color goes on do you think
1: yes he he pencils everything and then he scans in his pencils and someone else does the color in um but it's all pencil and he does oh. very much like that Disney Pixar feel. It's all very pencil-y. And then he scans in his pencils, so he doesn't even ink them. But I think now on his newer stuff, he does ink. And I think he's digital rather than yeah. traditional. But I think a yeah. lot of us have gone digital
2: now, haven't we? <laughs> Actually, Brian, have you gone digital? I w- I've been digital for 22, 23 years. What
0: wow. for ev- every stage of and the artwork?
2: It, much to the ho- yes, much to the horror of artwork collectors.
0: Well, is it to your disservice that you haven't got original artwork to sell?
2: Oh, it is. Yeah, it's it's great having. I mean, it's great having original artwork to sell. But um, I love the the things you can do. In, I mean, I do everything in Photoshop. There are so many other bits of software but I mean a manga studio and all kinds of other things that I I can't be asked to learn them actually I know how to <laughs> I <laughs> I know how to use photoshop it's it's even a 10 year old copy of photoshop you know you're supposed to keep um updating them but this is a this is a really old version I use yeah
1: you can't go wrong with photoshop and the nope. colorist is Etienne Saint-Laurent so I assume oh. it is that Um, Nick Bradshaw is from Ottawa, which is French, Canadian, Canada, Ah. Canada, French, Canada. Um, So I think that may be a French Canadian artist who does the colouring as well. Um, But yeah, it's stunning. As a piece of art, I think that is just incredible. I call it ordered chaos.
2: Here's another question. Is this just one panel out of like six or something on the whole page?
1: So he does an an average of about six to eight on a page. And that is one panel. And most of them are as detailed as that.
2: Wow. Yeah. now now it's
1: incredible.
2: I will say that um, too much detail can give you a bit of a headache. I think you've Mm -hmm. got to pace it a bit, haven't you? You've got to have a bit of detail next to, you know, something that's a little easy on the eye that you can Mm -hmm. scan very quickly and then move on.
1: Definitely. And when you read his stories, they do flow like that. When the deadites come out and attack, it becomes very chaotic. And then when it's calm again, the panels do reflect that And the colours reflect it too You'll have to look yes. at them you'll, you'll love it
0: So we're right <laughs> At uh, guessing That this is actually A splash panel Bigger than yes. most Of the panels in the strip
1: Actually no This is um, really? on the page Is about average Yeah
2: Oh my god I'm, I'm getting a headache Already just looking at it
1: Yeah
0: <laughs> Wow It's it, it's a blur of detail That's, that's very Very challenging for the, for the reader Army of Darkness Comes from The Sam Raimi Dead films Which were the original Video Nasties uh, 40 years ago when Brian was introducing Judge Death, another zombie of sorts, uh, Judge Death was sort of the safe end of zombies, and Sam Raimi, Video Nasties, was getting banned and discussed in in Parliament. And now this is almost child friendly.
2: Uh, I mean, are there any Disney zomb- uh, Disney animated zombie films these days? I mean, I haven't seen any.
0: They've They've done the Day of the Dead. Yeah, in um... Coco. Cool, cool. Yeah, Coco.
1: Cool, cool. They did the Mexican Day of the Dead so skeletons and ghosts and all that kind of stuff but it was done in such a lovely way that it wasn't it wasn't done for scares it was done for more no. re- remembering your family members and it was it's such a beautiful film definitely watch that
0: and slightly darker was tim burton's corpse bride uh, which again yes. is a zombie story and actually the hotel transylvania films yes. have have taken the stuff which again when they were in universal movies were x rated f- Films, and this was the subject matter. Actually, within a decade they become Abbott and Costello films. So maybe it doesn't take long before horror loses its edge.
1: My three-year-old absolutely loves the hotel Transylvania movies. So that that tells you everything.
0: <laughs> and 50 years ago, I was dancing to the Monster Mash.
2: You weren't around 50 years ago, Kev, were you?
0: Oh, whatever happened to my Transylvania twist. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Ryan, Thank you, Brian, for those two amazing suggestions. We have been looking at the cover of Cave Carson from The Brave and the Bold Presents, drawn by Bruno Primiani, selected by Brian. And we've been looking at Nick Bradshaw's artwork from Sam Raimi's Army of Darkness. And if you have any questions about this, you could always try and contact us on our social media.
1: Ryan where will we find you? I'm on Instagram at Rhianne Rollins, and it's R-I-A-N-N-E Rollins. It's a funny spelling. blame my mum for that. And I'm in the vino every week with Ruby.
0: Don't forget Rihanna in the Vino. Can I friend you?
1: Oh my god, yes, please. <laughs> yes. And funnily enough, um, I wanted to send you some pictures because my partner is a tattooist and he's actually tattooed your artwork on people.
2: Oh, right.
1: Have you seen have you seen tattoos of your artwork before?
0: Yes, and well, Brian wants his pound of flesh.
2: Actually, (laughs) yes, I demand those pieces of flesh be cut off and delivered to my house immediately. Uh, Yes, I have, actually. Yes, I've seen Joker uh, faces on people's legs, mainly on their legs for some reason. Brian, where do we find you on the socials? Well, I'm um, very bad at it at the moment. I'm just on Facebook. Uh, I don't have a website or an Instagram or any of the others, uh, or even a blog. I had one of those, but that became defunct. So I'm, I'm going to have to rectify that. But you can find me on Facebook. But all of the stuff I put on there is available for people to download and spread about as, as they wish.
0: Or, of course, Judge Dredd fans can contact Judge Anderson, as created by Brian, and uh, reach him telepathically. That was Comic Cuts. Please click subscribe to be sure of hearing every episode when it comes out, and leave us a review, why don't you? Thanks again to Brian Bolland and Ryan Rollins, and to you at home for listening. I've been Kev F, and this has been Comic Cuts, the panel show. <laughs>